One of the key decisions you'll ever make in life is the decision to live a deeper life, avoiding shallow thinking and living. This message is the third in the series, I Will Go Deeper. The message is entitled, Seeking a Whole Soul, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I'm gonna continue on the theme that we started last weekend, Seeking a Whole Soul. In just a moment, we're gonna land for our primary passage today in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 23, but we'll get there by way of Luke chapter five. The world that we live in today is a very shallow world. It's a world that has shallow values, shallow morals. In fact, in many cases, there seems to be a lack of morality totally around us. Many people simply do what they want to do with their lives with no sense of right or wrong. And so the world that we live in is a shallow world, shallow thinking, shallow commitments, and shallow relationships. And God has called each one of us to go deeper, to live a life that goes beyond the surface level. And your most fruitful and fulfilling life will be found and experienced when you make the decision in your life to say, I'm not going to live in the shallows. I will go deeper. Say that phrase with me. I will go deeper. This is illustrated to us in a number of different places in the Bible. One of those passages is in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus has an incredible encounter with a man by the name of Simon. We know him as Simon Peter. And we looked at this passage last weekend. I want to draw it to your attention as the foundational passage moving forward for today as well. When he had finished speaking, that's Jesus here, he said to Simon, now go out where it is. What's the next word there? deeper. Circle that on your notes. And let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am too much, or I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. This is an incredible story of one of Simon Peter's encounters with Jesus. It happens on the shore and the shores of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, where Simon, as a commercial fisherman, had been fishing all night long and caught nothing. And so he's it's early in the morning. He's frustrated by the fact he has no fish in his boat at all. And Jesus comes along and says, here, Peter, is the way you solve the problem. Move from the shallow waters into the deep waters, because if you'll get into the deep waters, you'll catch something there. And Simon, of course, he was the expert fisherman. He knew how to catch fish. It was not as though he was ignorant about fishing processes, but he had to take this moment and decide, will I trust what Jesus is about to say to me? Will I take this in and will I do what he's asking me to do? And of course, Peter replied and responded with obedience. He launched out into the deep. And of course, as we see in the story, in the deep waters is where he found all the fish. In the deep waters is where he found fruitfulness. In the, in the deep waters is where he discovered the key to productivity and fruitfulness with his life. And from that, Jesus taught him the lesson that now I want you to stop fishing for fish and to start fishing for men. Get into the deep levels of your spiritual life because I want to use you to reach people. You'll never be effective at reaching people. You'll never be effective in your ministry unless you make the decision to go deeper with God. 
You know, if you look at a swimming pool, if you've ever been to a resort or a hotel or some environment where there's a public swimming pool, you know that there are various levels of water. And the entry level into the swimming pool is the baby pool. And there's nothing wrong with the baby pool. I, I like to watch kids play in the baby pool, but I get a little concerned when I see a 50-year-old playing in the baby pool. There's something wrong with that picture. If you translate this into the spiritual life, unfortunately what happens is a lot of people give their lives to Jesus, but they never go any deeper than that. They spend their whole spiritual journey playing around in the baby pool. They never learn how to develop a walk with Christ. They never move forward in their spiritual journey, and they never experience the fruitfulness because they're living their life in the spiritual baby pool. And Jesus says, what I want you to do is to leave the baby pool and to get out of the shallow water. I want to get you out into the deep dimensions of your spiritual journey, at least deeper than you are now. That's why the series is entitled, I Will Go Deeper, because there's an ongoing process of deepening relationship with God over time. Now, when we say going deeper, what, what does that mean? How do we get started in that process? And last weekend, I talked to you about the fact that the way that we get started in the process of going deeper involves dealing with this part of your life. What was that part? And is that part? Your soul. The scripture also refers to this as your heart, your heart and soul, okay? Draw my masterpiece here for you once again. And down in the core of your being, you can't see it like you can see your body, but you have a soul that is eternal. It's going to live forever. When Adam and Eve were created by God, the Bible says in Genesis that God created Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into them the, left, the breath of life, and they became a living, what was the word again? Soul. He gave them the breath of eternity. Every human being has the breath of eternity. You will live forever somewhere. Every person will live forever somewhere. Heaven or hell in relationship with God or eternally separated from God. But every human being was made for God, to live for God. But you and I have to make the decision for our eternity. And we make that while we're here on earth by what we do with our soul, with our innermost being. That's the eternal part of us. And your soul consists of your personality. It's an expression. Your soul is expressed through your personality. Your soul is expressed through your decisions, through your will, your choices, through your attitudes, through your actions, through your thoughts. Uh, this is who you are. How do you know who someone is? It's not just by their body. It's getting to know their heart, right? Getting to know their soul. That's how you really get to know them. And whatever is in here eventually works its way externally in your life, in, every, in your actions and in your attitudes. That's why Proverbs 4.23 is so important. Guard your heart or your soul with all diligence, for out of your heart will flow everything of your life, your, all the issues of your life. Everything you do in your life starts where? In your heart, in your soul. And if you have pain and anger and all kinds of things bound up in your soul, will it affect your choices? Will it affect your attitudes? Will it affect your relationships? It will affect every part of you. Whatever is in here is going to affect how you live your life externally. Your soul directs your life. And so you and I need to know the condition of our soul, don't we? We talked last weekend about the fact that you and I can't know the condition of our soul by ourselves. We have to have God to help us, to shine light upon us, to reveal to us stuff in our heart that sometimes we hide and we sort of 
put this stuff to the side. We don't even realize that it's there, but Jesus comes along with the light of his word and the working of his spirit. He shows us our hearts in ways that we can begin to see things that we need to address. And so I want to take us on a journey today with two basic stops, two basic points I want to give you today as we continue this whole idea of how do you have a whole soul. And the first point I want to make for you today, we're going to discuss together in just a moment, is the fact that pain in you will always create problems for you. Anytime you have pain in you, it will always create problems for you. There's a very clear aspect of life that we need to understand spiritually. I'll give you a little theological lesson here for a moment. When you and I are born into this world, we are born, we're born dead on the inside. There's no life in us. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so when you, were, you entered the world, you didn't just come in as a sinner bad. You came in dead. You were not alive to God. And then there was a moment in time for most of us here today, and if you haven't made this decision, you can make it today. But for most of us that are here, there was a moment in time when God began to convict us about our need for Him and reveal to us who Jesus was. And we opened our life and said, Jesus, come into my heart, and I, I need you in my life. And there in that moment when you made Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord, the life of God came inside of you. You were born again in your spirit. Life came to you. You came alive in Christ. Do you remember that moment in your life when you invited Jesus in? And, and you had this moment of saying, wow, my life is new now. Something has changed. And there was this awareness of life in you. That's the life of God. So you're born again. You come into the life of God. And you're born again in your spirit. It certainly begins to affect your soul as well. But while we are born again, we still carry with us issues oftentimes from our past and problems in our present and worries about our future and all those things still hang around in our soul. Okay? And so when these things are in you, they're going to create problems for you. You can be born again and still have a messed up soul. Are you with me here? Shake your head. Let me know you're awake this morning, okay? All right. You can be born again and still have stuff in your soul that is causing problems in your life. The psalmist David understood this. He wrote a lot about, about, uh, about the soul. I think there's about 40 verses in the book of Psalms that reference the idea of the soul that David speaks about. But in one of the passages that most of us are very familiar with, Psalm 23, he very specifically talks about this need that we all have in our soul. Let's take a look at Psalm chapter 23, beginning in verse number one. We're going to read down through verse number three. I'm going to invite you to read it together with me aloud and loudly across all of our campuses. Let's read the word of God strongly today. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Please circle that phrase there. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David writes this psalm 
at least according to most biblical scholars and historians of the Bible, they, they understand the sequence. Because when you write something, it's important to know a little bit about the environment, what was going on when the words were penned. They certainly are words inspired by the Spirit, but also birthed out of an environment, birthed out of a situation. And according to most theologians uh, that have studied the history of David, we, we believe that David wrote this psalm at one of the most difficult periods of time in his life, that he wrote these words when his very own son Absalom was trying to take the kingdom away from him. And David had to leave Jerusalem, going across the Kidron Valley, heading out of Jerusalem, realizing he may may never come back again because his very own child was trying to steal the kingdom away from him. It was a very painful, stressful moment. And in the midst of this time of stress, David begins to think about God and says, one thing I know about God, he is my shepherd. Whatever is going on, dear ones, understand something today. Whatever is going on around you in your world, understand the Lord is still the shepherd. Amen? Okay. He never ceases to be the shepherd. And David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I see what's going on, but I'm leaning into God. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. David said, you know, I've got some pain where in my soul. Dear ones, you understand that if your son rises up against you and tries to take the kingdom away from you, that's painful. Amen. Does that hurt? That hurts. That disloyalty hurts to the core of your being. When your very own child is out to hurt you and destroy you and perhaps even have you assassinated, that is extremely painful. And David said, God, there's some pain down in my soul. And I realize that if I don't deal with this, if I don't let you deal with this in me, I'm going to be in trouble. And he made this statement, he restores my soul. And then what was the next statement? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, the sequence of those two statements is very important. The Bible is the inspired, infallible word of God. Amen? That's what we believe. We believe the Bible is the word of God. And we believe that even the, the way the Bible is presented to us, the order of script, the order of, 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 of wording in Scripture verses have meaning to them. And so David said, God, I'm asking you to restore my soul, so restoration, so that I can walk in paths of righteousness. In other words, David said, if I don't get this stuff out of my soul, it's going to mess up the way I live. You know why a lot of people aren't living right? Because they have brokenness in their soul. Down in here, there are problems in their heart that's affecting the walk of their life, affecting the way they think and affecting the way they live. If you're carrying hurt around inside of you or pain in your soul or resentment towards someone or various things that are happening inside your heart, will it affect the way you walk out your life and the way that you think? Absolutely. And so David said, God, I need you in my life right now to restore my soul so that I can walk and be led in paths of righteousness. That's right living and right thinking, or I should say right thinking and right living, because right thinking is what leads to right living. So David understood that the pain in him was going to cause problems for him. Let me ask you today, what pain is in you? You say, Pastor, why would you ask that question? Because the pain in you will create problems for you if you don't address it. 
If you don't deal with the stuff in your heart, if you don't go deep down there and say, God, what's in here, what's affecting my life, if you don't deal with it, it will affect the way you live. And the pain in you will keep you from walking the right way, and you'll end up walking the wrong way. Let's go to the second point. The second major point of today's message is that Jesus came to save your soul, and Jesus came to make you whole. That's a good hallelujah moment, isn't it? What we can't do for ourselves, Jesus does for us. Jesus came to save our soul and Jesus came to make us whole. It's not just a neat little rhyme, it is a reality. Now the saving of your soul and the making of your whole is a two-part thing. The saving of your soul, first and foremost, is for eternity. There's an instantaneous salvation of your soul. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be, say it church, you will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved. So the scripture says that when you and I call upon the name of Jesus, we invite Christ into our life, then there in that moment we secure eternal salvation. I am so grateful that when I was a seven-year-old little boy with my dad by my bedside, I prayed a sinner's prayer with him that night, and as a seven-year-old young man, I gave my life to Jesus, and there that many years ago, my name was put in the book of life, so when I get to heaven, they're not wondering whether I have have reservations. I have reservations there. Amen? Okay. My name's in the book. I'm saved, okay? I know where I'm going when I die. I'm not worried about death. I'm not worried about life hereafter. I have secured my salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. I didn't save myself. You can't save yourself. Jesus saved me by the work that he did on Calvary. All I did was come and put my faith in his work. I didn't work to get it. He gave it to me by grace. That's how you get saved. You don't work for salvation. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. Jesus is the only one that was good enough to earn salvation for you and then actually give it to you as a free gift when you put your faith in. What an amazing Savior. So those many years ago for me, and I don't know when it was for you, but there was that moment when your soul was saved for eternity. That was an instantaneous event that happened. But there's another dimension of the salvation of your soul that is ongoing because you're still, you're not in heaven yet. Any of you still just agree you're not in heaven yet, okay? If you think you're in heaven, by the way, we need to talk to you after the service, okay? Okay. You're living in delusion right now. We need to help you out, okay? Nobody's in heaven yet that's in this room, okay? You might be thinking about it, wanting to go there. You're not there yet. You're still down here in the nasty now and now, okay? Right? And you're having to live your life day in and day out here. And you're having to interact with the world. And you still are dealing with things through your soul. And there's still issues in your soul that while you're living here, you need to be saved from. Let's take a look at some scriptures. Notice James chapter 1, verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. That's down in your soul and humbly accept the word of word God has planted where in your hearts or in your soul remember these are synonymous sort of terms here for it has the power to save your 
soul. You know what's happening right now is the Word of God is getting in you. The Word of God gets down into your heart, and it begins to do a work on these problems here. It begins to work in you in such a way that as it's planted in your life, it starts to save your soul. I'm going to tell you what the word salvation means in just a moment, and you'll be very excited to hear about it. But I want you to see that salvation is something you and I need to experience on an ongoing basis. We are saved, but we continue to need to be saved every day in our life in the sense of stuff being removed from our lives so we can experience the fullness of life that Jesus has for us. First Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. You love Him, talking about Jesus, even though you have never seen Him. How many of you love Jesus even though you've never seen Jesus? Amen? How many of you are looking forward to seeing Him one day, but you love Him now, right? Okay? We love Him. We've never seen Him, but we already love Him because His love is in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. So again, we're talking about this ongoing thing called salvation. Salvation of your soul, an event and a process. Say it with me, an event and a process. You are saved in an event and you continue to be saved by God's work in you, changing your heart and your life through a process. It's growing up in your faith, going deeper in God. Now, the the Greek word for salvation, I'm going to give you both the Greek and Hebrew's definition for the word salvation because you need to understand the depth of the meaning of this word. It's a very rich word. And in basic terms, the Greek word for salvation means saved from danger or destruction, brought into a state of prosperity and happiness. That's directly from the lexicon. No wording of my own there. Saved from danger or destruction and brought into a state of prosperity and happiness. So when you're saved, you're being saved from anything that is dangerous in your life, destructive to your life, and God is working you to bring you to a place where your soul is prospering. Now, by the way, listen closely here. You can be financially broke and still be in prosperity. Amen? Because soul prosperity is not about how much money you have in the bank, okay? It's not about, it's not about the car you drive. Soul prosperity, and, and I'm not in any way uh, negating the value of any of those kinds of things, but I'm telling you that the kind of prosperity that God wants you to experience is prosperity in your soul. That's why John could write and say, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So soul prosperity is the key thing in your life. And salvation helps your soul to prosper. It removes the danger. It removes the destruction from it within you and brings you into joy, to happiness. The Hebrew word for salvation, interesting word. It means this. It means to be wide or open or free. It means to bring into an enlarged space. The opposite of the word means to cramp. Maybe some of you have experienced uh, uh, the, uh, the, the touches of claustrophobia before. You've had those moments where you felt like you were just pressed into a tight space and you couldn't breathe and you're about to 
die and you couldn't handle this and then suddenly you got free. Oh, I can breathe again. That's the idea of salvation. It's the deliverance from that tight space where you can't really breathe. You have no expansive capacity with your life and God comes along and says, I want to move your soul out of that claustrophobic environment and I want you to expand and prosper and have this wonderful sense of joy and happiness in your life. In essence, let me tell you what salvation is. Salvation is getting heaven into your heart. See, Jesus did not just come to get you to heaven. Jesus came to get heaven into you. I need to say that again because I was sure I was going to get shouted down with hallelujahs when I said that. I know you're thinking about it. Jesus did not come just to get you to heaven. That's wonderful. But Jesus came. Listen to me. Jesus came to get heaven into you. Jesus, listen closely. I don't mean this to be cute. I mean it to be poignant. Jesus came to drive the hell out of you. Okay? Amen? Jesus came to drive the hell out of you and get heaven into you. So that as you live your day, whatever it is, whatever is going on around you, you can still have heaven in you. Amen? You know that you can have hell all around you and still have heaven in you. Amen? Come on, church. Help me out here. Okay? Are you getting this? This is important stuff. We're talking about going deeper. Okay? This is, this is where you start getting into the, you get out of the baby pool when you get out of the, get into some of this stuff. Okay? This is, this is good stuff for you. It'll help you. It'll change your thinking. And so Jesus comes along and says, I want to do this work in you that I can drive all this hellish stuff. See, the devil wants to damage your soul. The devil delights. When he can damage somebody's soul, the devil loves it. Why? Because if he can damage your soul, he can change the way you think. He can affect the way you think and the way that you walk, right? Because the restoration of the soul is what leads to righteousness. If, the, if, that, if that's true, then the damaging of your soul will lead to unrighteousness. So that's why the devil loves to damage people in relationships and situations. Every damage that he can do to your soul, it's a win for him because he knows the outcropping of that, the outworking of that is going to be the way you think and the way you live and the way that you walk. That's why Jesus comes along and says, I want to save your soul. Why? I want to restore your soul so you can walk in paths of righteousness. Notice Paul's words in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. See this very clearly here where he says, For the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When heaven gets in you and hell is driven out of you, then everything begins to change. Your heart begins to have right thinking and right living. Not because there's some rule that says you can't do this and you can't do that. That's religion. But you start doing the right thing, not because you have to, but because you want to. That you delight in the law of God in your heart. In your heart, there's this delight to do the will of God. Why? Because your soul is right. Righteousness. And then what's the next one? Peace. And what else? Joy. In the Holy Spirit. How do you know when heaven's ruling in you? You have righteousness, peace, and joy. 
How do you know when hell's ruling in you? You have unrighteousness, a lack of peace, and the robbing of your joy. That's, that's, the, that's hellishness, hellish influences in your life. So let me wrap up today by sh- sharing with you seven ways that we move toward the restoration of our soul. How many of you want your soul to be restored? Okay, that's about half of you. I'm not sure what the other half want, but uh, I'm just still glad that you're here today, all right, okay? Maybe I can convince the rest of you by the time it's over with, all right? Seven things that Jesus does to restore your soul. They're on your notes. Why don't you help me read them? Number one, he convicts, convinces, and converts you. That's the beginning point. That's where Jesus comes along and says, you know what? You need a better life than you have right now. And he convicts you of that. He convinces you of that need. And then when you open your life to him, you, are, you experience this thing called conversion. There's that beginning point of your relationship with Jesus. And there, at that point, you have the power to change. By the way, let me say this. If you haven't inv- invited Jesus into your life, that's where you start. That's where you get the power to move through the process. Number two, read with me. He cancels all your sins, and releases you from shame and condemnation. That's dealing with your past right there, that when you invite Jesus into your life, there's this cancellation. He tears up everything that you've ever done wrong. It's washed in the blood. There are many analogies that we could use here for that, but there's the cancellation of your sins, and you're free. You are forgiven. Thank God for forgiveness, right? Number three, he confronts you. Are you helping me here? He confronts you with your own painful and destructive issues. As you start growing in Christ, this is one of the ways, one of the things that is, 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 is very clear in people. I watch it in people all the time. You can tell when people are starting to grow in their faith. You can tell what, if you're growing you're, because you begin to be aware of stuff in your life you need to deal with. If you're never aware of anything you need to deal with, you're not growing in your faith. If you're like, hey, everything's good. Me and Jesus, we got it all together. It's all right, okay? I don't have any problems, then you don't have a clue, okay? Because if you're growing your faith, you begin to realize, oh my goodness, Jesus is starting to shine this amazing light on things in my soul that I didn't even realize was there. He's showing me this this hatred right over here I didn't even know I had. He's showing me this resentment over here. I didn't realize that that was there. He's showing me this pride right down here. I didn't even realize that I had. And so growing in Christ, you can't deal with a problem if you don't know what it is, right? And so Jesus shines stuff on you, shines his light through his word by his spirit, and he begins to confront you with stuff in your life, not in a mean, negative way, but so you can grow. You can't grow if you stay the same, right? And so he begins to reveal stuff to you. And then the next one, read together with me. He commands you to release your... Resentments. I want to talk about that for a moment because the biggest issue that keeps people bound where they are is this thing called resentment. Because it is completely opposite of God. It's the complete opposite of God. When you go to God and you ask God to forgive you of something and you honestly bring your sin to Him, what does God say to you? Do you say, well, I think about it. Well, if you do the following things, then I'll forgive you. I'm going to make you suffer for like three years, then maybe I'll forgive you. No, that's not God at all. When you go to God, you ask Him for forgiveness. He is free quickly to forgive. He is a forgiving God. He is a gracious and merciful God. And then God says, by the way, the way I treat you, I want you to treat other people the same way I treat you. So, well, God, you don't know what they did to me. 
And we have this, this excuse inside and this rationalization. God, if you only knew what they did to me, God knows. He understands. No, no matter what you've ever experienced in your life, you've never experienced the kind of pain and humiliation and rejection that Jesus experienced. He faced far more than you and I will ever experience in life. He was mistreated to the core. And Jesus on the cross, what was one of his famous statements on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing in the depths of his being. Why? Because his soul was right. His soul was right. There was no resentment in his heart. There was no resentment in his soul. He could say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And anytime you come to this point in your life of saying, you know what? I'm just not going to forgive. I'm going to hold on to that. Then the adversary has a grip on your life in that area. The Bible says that through anger and resentment, we give place to the devil. You don't want that in your life. So you forgive as God has forgiven you. Let's go to the next one, okay? He clears away, read with me, he clears away the curses and controls of the devil. I just want you to say hallelujah right there, okay? Thank you. That is the most spiritual part of the church right over there, okay? Those are awesome, okay? Now all of you be sitting over there next week, right? You're all just like, we have a line forming just to sit right over there. The Bible says of Jesus, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Let me tell you something. There is no hell in you that, devil is, that Jesus is not sufficient to drive out of you. Okay? He came to rebuke and to deal with and to overcome every work of the devil. Number six, he corrects your faulty thinking with his precepts, principles, and promises. He changes the way you think. That's how renewal happens. That's how your soul is, re- is restored. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then he, number seven, calls you to... Give up a self-centered life in exchange for a serving life. Let me tell you what the end result of having a healthy soul is. When you get to this place of growing and becoming more and more healthy in your soul, you stop worrying so much about you and you begin to give your life to God to serve other people. And not to do it out of an obligation, but out of a joy. There's a joy in serving. There's a joy that's discovered in serving that only happens as your soul gets whole, as your soul begins to grow and mature and gets some of the hell out of it and the heaven into it. Jesus came to save your soul. What are the problem areas in your soul? What's God talking to you about? What are the little places inside of you or maybe the big places inside of you that are binding you up right now and keeping you from moving forward into all that God has for you? Today, would you make the decision to say, Jesus, I'm going to open up my soul to you and invite you in. And I want to pray the same prayer. I want to declare the same words that David did. He restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness. Ultimately, what is it for? For his namesake so that he receives the glory. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity that we have to study the Word. We're so grateful that you've given us the Word of God. We just pause for a moment and thank you for your Word. And thank you that you're speaking your Word, not just externally to us, but internally to our hearts. You want to plant the Word in us so that it can save our souls. And I pray that today in all of us, that there would be an opening of our soul to you. Lord, you know the issues that we all have, you know the things that are down inside of us that you're dealing with that you want us to look at and to address in our lives. 
And I pray that in Jesus' name, our response to you today would be yes. We would welcome you in. Lord, we thank you that you're the restorer of the soul so that we can walk in paths of righteousness for your namesake. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that'll help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.